Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon here with my friend and esteemed colleague, John Kaplan, also known as Cap. Johnny Mac, good to see you, brother. Good to see you. Good morning. Morning. Cap, we got a special guest today. It's a person that started their career as an officer in the Navy, joined PTC and rose through the ranks to run the Americas, then went to EMC and started the mid-market group, which you want to hear a lot about, and then was promoted to be the president of the Americas and customer operations at EMC. He recently joined Presidio as the CRO. It's a $3 billion systems integrator. Please welcome an incredible leader and my good friend, John Hanlon. Hanlon, how are you? Hey, Johnny Hanlon, dude. Thank you for joining us. It's so great to see you. And uh, you're one of my favorite leaders on the planet. I had the great uh, experience and pleasure to actually work for you back in the day at PTC. And and uh, thanks for joining us, brother. You look fantastic. Dude, you're not aging. <laughs> you're not aging. Thank you very much, John. You look great. And uh, good to see my good friend, John McMahon, as well. And good to see you guys. So, Cap, the reason I wanted to have uh, Hanlon on is no matter what company he's been at, he's done an incredible job as a leader to motivate his people towards like a shared vision. So I'd love to have Johnny take us through, you know, a number of times when he had to do that. Yeah, I, 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 we're so lucky to, to have you, John, with your great experience and, you know, being a leader in the Navy, a leader at PTC, a leader at EMC and now Presidio. Uh, you know, let's kick it off at the Uber level with just kind of looking back at some of the great lessons that you learned as a leader. Yeah. Um, I would tell you, you know, probably it, it's a little bit old verbiage, but you do learn from your more from your mistakes and your successes. And uh, I've had my share of, uh, I'll say, mistakes. But the key is to learn from it. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that I love doing Right. And I appreciate the kind words up front. You, both of you truly humble me. Um, but one of the things I love to do is teach frontline leaders, managers. And I used to always joke when I was younger in my career. And I go, if we wanted managers, I go down to Kmart. We're hiring leaders and there's a difference. And I actually created a class myself uh, and I call it situational leadership. And it's about a day and a half uh, program. And there's really three components. One is we actually talk about leadership attributes and why they're important. Uh, two, we actually, I share with people my top leadership lessons, really through mistakes I've made. And then we spend a, about a half a day going through an old movie and stopping it and asking questions on the situation. What would you do? And it's really, it's, there are no wrong answers. It's thought provoking, right? And then on the back end of that, we then spend the next day really talking about building a culture around accountability around three core tenets 
recruiting, developing, and driving demand. Right? Mm. Day one, we recruit, we develop, and we drive demand. Those are the core tenets of our organization. We are all responsible for all three of those elements. I remember back in the day, Johnny, you, um, <clears throat> you had a conversation with me way back in the day, and you said, hey, John Kaplan, um, any great leader, you're kind of giving it to me at the Uber level. You said they have command of their plan and command of their people. And I'm just thinking back on it. I now remember, I know we didn't practice this in the podcast. That actually became two tenants of some of the leadership that we do at Force Management. But I remember you vividly saying, any great leader has commanded the plan and commanded the people. Yeah, but you know, I've actually, I have my eight and I've kind of rotate them back and forth as I've gotten older in my career. Yeah. I think the most important attribute is approachability. Yeah. Because uh, in the, the day, what's our job? It's our job to add value, break down barriers, make people more successful, right? Get them promoted, watch them develop and grow. But if people aren't comfortable coming to you to talk about their problems or their situation, you're flawed as a leader. You're done. You might as well get another job. And What's the best way to make yourself an approachable leader, John? Is it something that you have to do? I think you have to create a culture. You have to create a culture, right, where people get to know you, see you, and get comfortable with you. And that's why I think one of the biggest things as a leader you got to do is you got to be visible. Yeah. Right. 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 And visible means you got to be there in person. It doesn't mean on a Zoom camera. And I know these are unprecedented times. But as an example, I'm jumping on a plane right now and going to Texas. Going to spend three days in a QBR with my West Coast team. And the difference between being there in person and being on Zoom, there's a big difference. Yeah, right. huge. Yeah, we used yeah, to we used to look at the uh, we used to look at certain leaders, Johnny, on approachability and being visible. And it, I think you're just highlighting something so great is with all the pressure and all the things that you got to do and all the internal stuff you have to do. Sometimes forces leaders to what we used to call back in the day, fly the desk and be in the office and handle the internal and the corporate things. And one of the things I always appreciated about you is you were always on a plane. You were always visible. You were always in the local markets. And uh, it's just not, it's not that easy to do, but it's so, so critical. It's absolutely important. And you got to earn that approachability. You know, Joe Tucci used to say, leaders aren't appointed, they're elected. And I so agree with that statement. And to get elected, you got to be in the trenches with the team. You're right. kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself if you're not. Right. We used to call that windshield time. You know, whether yes. you're on your plane, a train, or in the car going to calls, that's the time to get to know your people, not checking your emails or anything like that. It's you got to get to know the people then, which to your point, Johnny, then makes you more approachable. Yeah. So that's just, so, so, you know, in the, in the, keep session, going, you got a good list there, Johnny, keep going with some yeah. of your top characteristics. I second one is self-awareness and your, our job as leaders is to plot the course and take the ship in the right direction or point the ship in the right direction. And if you're not self-aware, you're probably going to take the ship in harm's way, as I say. Right. And I think most people would say, yeah, I'm self-aware, but I've known personally, as I've evolved as a person, as a human being, I really wasn't that self-aware when I was younger in my career. I didn't have, I didn't have good ears, right? And it took me, I'm still learning that, right? But it took me really a long time to develop that self-awareness, right? Great question there, Johnny, is yeah. 
um, is to ask people, if you're doing a one-on-one with them, is to ask them, what is the book on you? When, when you're not around, tell me what people are saying about you. And it's really important to see if the other person truly is self-aware of what other so, people are saying about them. John, I asked the same question, but this is a cute story. So my mother, my 88-year-old mother one day <laughs> says to me, hey, I read this article in the Wall Street Journal. And she said, you're always talking about recruiting. I thought you might find this interesting, right? And said, one of the key attributes as a salesperson is self-awareness because of what sales is about. It's about qualifying. Right. And they said, here's the question you ask. If I brought your worst enemy into this room, what would they say about you? Right? And same question you asked, right? right? But a little bit different, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I thought, I said, geez, Ma, that's, 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 it was a good article. And uh, it also talked about, Great leaders aren't the person jumping in the front. They're usually sometimes taking a step back and letting everybody else talk first. And then, then kind of saying, okay, I like that idea. I don't like that idea, but also have the comfort. I'll say the comfortability to admit when they're wrong publicly. Yeah, for sure. I like this topic because um, John McMahon, I remember you sharing a story with me years ago and, and you said to me, it was your experience that the best leaders that you had ever worked with are the ones that had a really good self-awareness and how you described it to me was how they would describe themselves matches how others would describe themselves. And that was the definition of self-awareness. And I kind of took that forward over the years and I checked myself and then I checked myself with others to say, Hey, in that situation, give me some feedback. And I would see if my perception of my leadership style or, or what have you matched what somebody else's was. And I think that's a really, really good barometer, really good barometer. Yeah, so sure. that's a good one. I love, I love self-awareness, Johnny Hanlon. Keep going. I think, you know, John and I were talking, uh, we're actually hanging out one day and, and he said, I think one of the most important traits is persistence. And I said, I totally, totally agree. And that's something I don't think you can coach. Either you have it or don't. And I worked for this guy named Billy Scannell at EMC. <laughs> Billy, I call Billy Scannell the Bill Belichick of, of sales. He's the only guy that I ever knew that spent 20 plus years in a CRO role. No one's ever done it. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, is, this, is, this, is, this is your head football coach. Let's be honest, basketball coach. Well, Billy did it, right? And, you know, we used to joke behind his back. He doesn't even know this story. So I hope he listens to it. I say, if you get in a fight with Bill Scannell and it's a knife fight, you better bring a gun, a machine gun, and then have a helicopter with a machine gun and then a jet plane. And then you better have an aircraft carrier. Cause once you think you got this guy down, he's going to get back up. I've never seen anybody <laughs> as tough, competitive, resourceful as this guy. And I, I, I joked with him the other night, I was talking to him. I go, you're the only guy I know that God's going to come to take you. And you're going to say, God, it's actually not the right time. And you're going to talk about it. <laughs> That's a good one. That's Billy the survivor. But yeah, just, just Johnny, great Johnny persistence you... is so important for skills. You know, you just, yeah. you can't develop skills if you're just not persistent. You just got to keep coming and coming and trying and trying. Yeah. You How know, do you so... get people to tap into it, Johnny Hanlon? Because you can say you have to be persistent or resilient. And that's a, that's a common description for people. What's been your experience on getting people to tap into their own persistence or their own resilience? Have you had, have you had some thoughts on that? 
you know, I, I, well, you're trying to tap into somebody else. I would say most persistent people have an incredible energy level, mm. right? And I think when people look at Billy Scannell, right, they admire him for everything he's done. But they kind of feed off of his energy. He's got an yeah. he just exudes energy. And that's another favorite word. But the guy I think about when I hear energy is Mark Thurman. He's now the COO over at Tenable. And yes. the guy just exudes energy and passion, right? Right. Um, just, just another special, special leader, right? Who worked with us at PTC. And I got to hire him as a young man, of, I think age 25 at the time. And now he's a CEO at probably the fastest growing, one of the fast growing security companies. Well, you talk about persistence and energy and you talk about a guy like Thurman and um, just the number of different roles that he's had. Uh, <clears throat> Scanlon has the same role for a number of years, which is incredibly, uh, incredibly impressive. Thurman and you, for example, having multiple roles in different companies, long-term inside of a company, uh, multiple roles, um, and the persistence, I, I think, is really, really powerful. And then and the situational awareness that you talk about, Johnny Hanlon, um, I think one of the powerful things is getting people to just tap into uh, their own experiences, because a lot of people don't see themselves as resilient or persistent. And great leaders, I found, leaders of leaders, what I found is they remind people, they tap them into those experiences to, to remind them that they've been through tough crap before. The best leaders I've ever worked for have had the ability to kind of meet me wherever I was and remind me that I'm probably tougher than, than, uh, than I realize in this situation. And that comes, like you said, with being approachable and, and some of the other ones. I hope, you know, the next one you're going to talk about is empathetic, I think, and empathy. Yeah. Expand on that a little bit. Yeah. And it's funny. I was talking about Joe Tucci, the former CEO uh, of EMC with Bill Scannell. And we both have a, I'll say, a man crush on Joe. We love Joe. Joe was just <laughs> such a great leader. He's such a great human being. And uh and I said to Billy, I said, Joe's greatest attribute, and he had a ton of attributes, but his greatest attribute is humility. He goes, no, you're wrong. I'm always wrong when I talk to Billy, by the way. <laughs> that's like me and, and, that's like way, me and McMahon. I'm, yeah. I'm always wrong. <laughs> by the way, but, but it, once again, I was wrong because Billy looked yeah. at me and goes, <laughs> me too. Billy goes, Billy goes, empathy. And I thought mm. about it. I go, ooh, you're so right. And I had a personal experience. You know, it all happens to us once in a while in life. I had, I got demoted, got taken out of a job and uh, didn't, wasn't feeling too good about myself. And uh, Joe brought me into the office. And by the time I walked out, I was feeling pretty good. And pretty much it was everybody else's fault. And it wasn't my fault, but it was my fault because in the day I was in charge, but he just had the ability to put myself, put himself in my shoes and make me feel good in a very down time. Yeah. So Johnny, uh, just stay on that point though. When you had to go back, you know, you got demoted. Yeah. Gucci made you feel good. That might've yeah. lasted, you know, a certain period of time. But when you went back home and you looked in the mirror and you thought through some of the things that you did or didn't do, what was, what was the biggest lesson? Cause obviously you've recovered from all that with a lot yeah. of the great things that you've done since then. What's the number one takeaway from that? Because those experiences, we learn a lot from. What is, what is the number one thing you learned from that? You know, it's, uh, it's a tough question. A lot of self-reflection. I would say, looking back at it, as a team, 
we didn't really work that well together. And in the day, I was the head coach or the captain. And ultimately, I had to take responsibility for that, right? Because they were good guys, right? And uh, it just didn't work well. Number two, I also say when it does happen, if it does happen, and we're all in sales, so usually it will happen, uh, be accepting and move on as fast as you can. And I will say you learned some lessons from that, though, too. I mean, you have to look in the mirror and say, you know, what did you do wrong? You were, as you said, like the head coach. And now, you know, what did you really learn from that? We all have to take lessons from our mistakes. That's where the greatest lessons are. I I would say I was probably not as effective as I should have been as communicating what I was looking from the leadership team. So it was a lack of communication for me and, and really around probably specifics. If I look at it, if I look back at it, right? Um, You're you know, saying what you were telling your your direct reports, you you were not so effective in communicating that to them? Yes. I would say I could have done a better job. We had some headwinds at the time with uh, Amazon. It was disrupting our market. But you can't use that as excuses. You know, I should have provided a better direction on what we had to do to kind of work around that and be more effective with our selling solutions. So ultimately, that's my fault. Yeah. So Johnny, you, uh, one of the things you also talk about, at least to me is intensity. So when you think of intensity, is there a person or a leader that you've been around that, you know, emulates intensity? Yeah. The guy I'm looking at in the screen right now. <laughs> Kaplan. You. <laughs> All right. But I you did agree. it. And Thank it, you. You did it. You did. Like I, I, when I was younger, I was very intense, but it was very obvious you didn't show your intensity and that was a weakness I had. Right. And as a leader and as a human being, right. And, and I would bring that, you know, wherever, everywhere, everywhere I went, which was just not a very mature thing to do. So you're saying you kind of showed the intensity on the outside, even so you had the fire on the inside, but you showed the fire on the outside. You're saying it's better to have the fire on the inside, but not show that a hundred percent on the outside. You, you did it in a quiet way, but when you looked you in the eye, you had an intensity that I used to say, I thought the fire was going to go through the back of my eyes and out the side of my head. Yeah. Right. But, you know, it's interesting yeah. you say that, John Hanlon, it's because uh, <clears throat> people are listening to this. They're thinking of intensity and people could have their own definitions of intensity. And I like the way that you just kind of stipulated that or, or talked about the differences, you know, um, I, you were very, very intense leader. And I really appreciated that about you. And it, it culminates into the energy and things like that, that you're talking, passion and intensity kind of go hand in hand for me when I think about you. And I had the pleasure to work for both of you guys. I think about John McMahon, and I really appreciate how you're describing his intensity. I've always found that John's type of intensity was very interesting because it was intensity without a lot of um, uh, flair. It was yes. really intensity through listening. Yes. He created yes. so much intensity yes. by not saying anything yes. uh, that it, it was really, yeah. really powerful. And that's John's style. So if we're listening, it's not about copying somebody's style. The content of intensity is important. But however you bring that intensity to the table, it's yeah. a key ingredient. But it might show up. It might, it might look differently from different yeah. styles. I- so I, I look back at my past and I would I'd get a face and I'd just be so frozen. And what I was doing, I was making myself very unapproachable. Mm. 
Well, that guy, that guy, he's, he's a little bit too intense. You want to talk to him. But John was a much better listener. Especially, yeah. yeah. And I would, I, I could not agree more on your yeah. points. Right. And yeah. I, I eventually, I'm getting there, but that was, I, I would say, a weakness of my leadership style when I was younger in my career. Yeah. Sometimes I wasn't a great listener, which is, which in a day, if you're not listening, you're not going to be approachable. Well, when you think about your background <clears throat> with the military and, you know, there's probably, you were taught there's times to listen and there's time to speak and there's time to, and, you know, kind of balancing all that is a lot of people don't think about listening as a great form of empathy it's really related to all of these it's about being approachable it's about you know that listening component is really powerful and some leaders feel like well it's my job to speak if I have a leadership position it's my job to speak and so I'm more likely to speak than I am to lead with listening and so it's, I think it's a really good uh, thing to contemplate what, what I learned in my seven years in the service and I absolutely loved it and I was blessed to work for this young man named Kerry Hython. And he taught me about respect and he taught me about accountability and he taught me, it's not about you. It's always about them. It's always about them. It's never about you. And, uh, I, and I was blessed. He was like, I, I told John earlier, I said, if I could have worked for this gentleman for my entire career in the Navy, I would have stayed in. Yeah. He was an extremely charismatic leader. I've always thought that you wanted to be like Johnny Kaplan. He said that I was a good listener. I've always thought that as a leader, you can't look at your people as being cookie cutter. So you have to be what I call intimate with your people. And the only way that I knew to get intimate by like really knowing what drove them, what their fears, insecurities, goals, needs, wants, motivations were, was by asking questions and then really listening. That's, that's what I thought was yeah. my definition of being an intimate leader, if that makes sense. So let's pull on that thread a little bit. It's funny you say that. So when I get in a, a car, a car, as we say in Boston, a car. Hey, Mark, go pack the car. Yeah. and we do that, we do that windshield time, which is invaluable, right? And the first question I ask now, I get in the car, I go, hi, how you doing? I go, what's your name? And they tell me the name. And I go, my name's John Hanlon. And then I go, tell me your story. Huh? I want to know about you. Right. Where you grew up, high school, college, family, brothers, sisters. I want to hear about your life story yeah. and get to know them. Great and what I'm trying to do is create a connection with them so I can get them disarmed and befriend them. Right. In a good way. So I get to know them. Right. And I also right. find it very interesting. I love people. So it's, it's, it's easy for me to do. I think that's so appropriate. Like being intellectual curious on people's stories knowing that everybody has a story and great leaders I found are intellectually curious on people's stories. I like that. And Johnny, I, I want you to just hit on something because I found you with all the roles that you've had <clears throat> and all of the things that you've lived through, including this pandemic. Now, I don't imagine just because you're in a zoom environment in on one day and in a car the next day, there's, there's still plenty of opportunity, regardless of the media medium that you're using to communicate with people, you can still find out another person's story. So there might be some people listening, they're saying, well, I, I can't do that because I have to be in a car. And I, I adamantly disagree with that. I agree you don't that. have the opportunity because you can't fly into Italy or what have you. You can't 
go someplace right now, you can always find out somebody's story. Yes, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. Hey, and John. You can always find five minutes, you know, in your day to yeah. pick the phone up. If something gets on schedule, you have an, you have an hour blocked and all of a sudden is if you use up 50 minutes, those extra 10, you can call two people for five minutes and just ask them, you know, how's it going and learn a little bit more about them, hang the phone up. And, you know, that goes a long way. I'm looking at the, the list that I wrote down, Johnny Hanlon, that you've been talking about approachable persistence. You talked about empathy, intensity. Were there any, and you talk about energy, I think, were there any others that like you utilize in your situational leadership class? Any of that we left out? Yeah, one more, I, I added this in a couple of years ago, uh, authenticity, right? People and what's that mean work, to you? People want to work for people that are real. No phony baloney. Don't try to kid me. Be transparent, be honest. Because we all have worked for people or worked with people that they tend to tell you what you want to hear or a little bit full of themselves, right? People want to work for people that are authentic. And, and John McMahon gets that title as well. Mm-hmm. I think of Johnny, I think of authentic. You're very authentic you, too, John, John Kaplan. And John Kaplan, you're very, very authentic. Well, you, right? I know you got to throw some compliments in somewhere. We're going to be together for 45 <laughs> minutes, so I appreciate that. <laughs> We already got the fun stuff out in the pre-work that we did before this. Hey, Johnny, Johnny Hanlon, let's switch gears just a little bit. So I remember when you were selected to build the uh, entire mid-market, you know, uh, business for EMC from scratch. They selected you. You said, okay, I'll take that on. Talk to us about some of the challenges of building essentially, you know, another go-to-market strategy within a really big company. So I mean, just, Step back a little bit. My, my first job I had at EMC, I actually built out the first global BU, right? And I mentioned that because I probably learned more in that job than any other job I've ever had. Tell us about that. And what I learned was, you know, so Bill, Bill, Bill Scanlon asked me to come on board. There was an emerging market called Network Attached Storage. There was a company called Network Appliance. They're a good, good company, good product. And we had a product that really wasn't selling that well. So they felt they need to have a focus on it because it's a different discipline, different selling motion, right? And so Bill really wanted me to go out and hire really young, aggressive people. And uh, about three months into it, six months, whatever it was, I told Bill, I go, we're changing directions. This is what do you mean? I go, you already have an incredible distribution channel. You're an incredible sales force. What I need to hire is people that are BDMs, technically astute, that can work with people so they can get access into their accounts right, that they feel comfortable working with. Having somebody that's the same DNA as them probably is going to create conflict. And we don't want that, right? Because in the day we have an install base, we want to leverage the install base. That's where we want to point the gun. So I learned, you know, first thing was when you're building on BU, it's, it's a different skill set from the legacy core selling team. Number two, where you want to point the gun is the install base, right? And right. They, they, they like you, right? They're buying something from me, so they must like you. So then a couple of years later, Bill said, hey, we're going to start a mid-market business. And at the time, and I didn't know this, Billy explained it to me. He said, 90% of our revenue is coming from our top 3,500 accounts. And, we're there, and EMC was a very, very enterprise-focused company. We made an acquisition, a company called Data General in 1999, had a product called Clarion, which is a great mid-tier product, but we weren't selling it, right? And it was really set up for a different part of the market. So Billy segmented out the business, so all you young sales leaders, 
I'm giving you an exercise on segmentation. He segmented out the business, got hyper-focused on the enterprise accounts, right? Double that business and then handed me the mid-market business. But my go-to-market was different. Mine was going to be sales, channels, and OEM. Right? Okay, so but now you're selling to companies that have never bought from EMC before, never right? Bought. Am I right? Never, yeah, okay. Yes, never bought. So a lot of, a lot of white space, different type of person. Mm-hmm. Also more of a channel play. You know, coming from PTC, we weren't that channel friendly. Mm-hmm. And legacy EMC wasn't that channel friendly, right? And it, I'm going to be honest, it took me a couple of years, but I'm, all of a sudden, I've got religion around the channel now. I didn't have it before. And it really taught me, right? Sales is about addition, not subtraction. Johnny, on that vein, let's bring in some of these previous principles you're talking about. So your leader comes to you and saying, we're changing direction. We're doing this. I'm putting you in this environment. As a leader, how do you prepare yourself with, first, you have to understand the Uber message, the leader message from you. You then have to figure out, how do I bring this to my team? So I have to not be a filter. but I have to figure out I'm going to create my message to my team, which connects to the company message. And the reason why I'm saying it to you this way, because I experienced it with you. We were asked to do some things in our previous work lives that I always thought that you did a great job translating what it was the company was asking you to do. So you knew the company message. And I think your training in the Navy was huge for that. You understand what the Navy's message is. Now you got people that you're managing on the boat and you have to take that and you have to make it your message and you have to make it their message. How have you balanced that in all these different environments that you, what, what, what do you go through when you think about that? It's about building the right culture for the opportunity, right? Every opportunity is a little bit different. So, you know, John mentioned it, this was white space. So I needed a very aggressive selling team right? I needed to get my channel highly motivated and I needed to create an OEM partnership, right? So the first thing I did, right, is I got my whole team, small team, I think it was like eight or nine leaders at the time, right? I got all the leaders in for a weekend. We knew that today, by the way, brought them on for a weekend. We're going to do a little boot camp, right? We're going to have a culture. Yeah. And our culture is going to be around three tenants, recruit, develop, drive them in. But I started out with there's two things you need to know before we get going that I think you might find of interest. How do I make decisions? So there's gonna be situations where you're gonna come in and question me. I'm okay with that. But you should understand how I make a decision. And the, here's, it's really simple. The company will come first, you will come second, and I will come third. And we'll, you know, mm. People say, that makes sense. Well, when you're dealing with salespeople, sometimes they can be selfish and manipulative. So you need to set that expectation up front. It's always about the ship. It's always about the mission. Right. You come second. I come third. Number two is you're probably wondering, how do I get promoted? Right. I want to create a culture where people want to get promoted. They want to get to the next level. That's what I loved about the commercial business. When Bill offered it, I go, oh, I would love it. I get to build a business. I get to, if I, if I grow it, I get to promote. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the deal. I love that. I said, you're all probably wondering, okay, so if I have a better numbers than Tom or Mary, I get promoted. No, that's not how it works. First of all, a bunch of you are going to overachieve. That's just reality. And because you're 140% versus 120 doesn't mean you get the job. The person that can show me that they can bring talent in and can recruit is how you differentiate self in this business because it's all about talent acquisition. And I learned that at PTC. 
That's a great point. Great point. And it is about talent. And I give you an example. We we had we had a year into the job. We doubled the business, right? Uh, things are going great. I got to promote somebody to a VP. These two individuals came in, and one guy, frankly, he had really good executive presence. He's a really good sales leader, really really good guy. And I knew everybody. You know, we had a panel that kind of probably like him. The other guy was definitely a great executive presence, great sales leader. We probably didn't have his polish, right? But anyways. The second candidate, he hired 5X compared to the other candidate. So I kind of had my mind made up because I could explain candidate one, why you didn't get the job. I could not explain it to candidate two, why you didn't get the job. And sure enough, Bill sat down because Bill was part of the interview process. And he said, I just, I like that guy. I go, I like him a lot too, but we're going to go with the other guy. Why? I go, this is a growth business. It's all about recruiting. And this guy hired five times as many people as the other guy. Right. He got the job. like that in a growth business. Why would I promote you to the next level if you haven't proven that you're able to recruit somebody to your point and develop that person to take your spot? It's a growth company. You have to recruit and develop to take your spot. And if you can't prove that you can do that in a growth business, why should we promote you? It doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. So it's so important. But then, you know, once you set that expectation, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to, you know, you got to walk the walk, I call it. Right. And, um, so it was, that was a lot, job was a lot of fun. And we took that business from a dollar to a billion in five years. We had an OEM partner named Dell. I'll never forget the funny story. So Billy calls me up. He goes, hey, we just signed up a partnership with Dell. And I go, Dell? Now, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I've just got in the infrastructure business. And I'm scratching my head, Dell. And Billy's like, yeah, Dell, find out Austin. Find out what they got. So I go, Billy, I'm, I know I'm not in this hardware business, but they sell PCs, we sell storage. He goes, I think they sell some servers too. So I go down there and I meet every sales leader. And, I, and you know, at the end of the question, I say, how many servers do you sell? So I call Billy up and I go, Bill, he goes, what's up? I go, this is not good news. He starts to cut me off, I go, let me finish. This is great news. These guys are selling 500,000 servers a quarter with no storage attached. We're gonna wrap our engine around these guys and go to market. I go, this is gonna be a home run. And it was for five years. And then they decided to buy something. But we, we, we adjusted. But uh, that really got us kickstarted in, in, that the, was the in seeds, the mid market. That was the seeds of Dell think, and wanting to buy AMC? I definitely, he, well, I think Michael Dell would have wish he bought it back then. He yeah, did, right. though, he, by the way, he still did okay. Yeah, I'm sure he yeah, did. More than sure okay. Yeah. yeah. Johnny, any other lessons from that time of creating a whole new business from scratch? Yeah, the other lesson I tell you, I had a, a partner in the business and super, super bright guy. And uh, he was kind of my technical partner. And I was just like amazed by his intelligence. But I noticed when we go into meetings, right, he could get confrontational people. And we'd have a meeting with, you know, five or six people from corporate and I need their help to be successful. We'd walk out and I look at him, I go, that was an interesting meeting. And I said, but what do we really accomplish there? So this happened three or four times. And the fourth time it happened, I sat down with the individual and I said, our job is to build this, take the small company, make a big company within this large company. The only way we're going to do that is by having everybody on our side and having a lot of friends. Every time we leave a meeting, we got five new enemies. You're usually right, but we got five enemies. 
<laughs> I said, I don't want any enemies. I don't want nothing but friends. And I know you're right, but right now I need people working with me, not working against me. Right. Your job right. and my job is to move the ball forward for the commercial business. And right now you and I are moving it back. You need to go home for the weekend and think about it. So the guy came back Monday morning, goes, thought about it. He goes, and you're right. And he goes, I'm going to put my ego in the back pocket and shut my mouth because in the day, it's about moving the ball forward. And what I learned about that individual that day, and him and I are still very good personal friends, was he was coachable. Yeah. He was, and he also, he was willing to admit he made a mistake. And I look at so many leaders where they will not admit they made mistakes, right? And they're not coachable. And if you're not coachable, I can't help you out. Right. And it's okay to all you young sales leaders out there. It's okay to say, I made a mistake. It's okay to say I was wrong. In my QBRs, when I hear that, hear that word from a young leader, I get up on purpose and I go hug the individual. And I see everybody, this is what being a leader is all about. It's about being accountable, about being self-aware and recognizing when you're wrong. Because if you don't know you're wrong, you can't alter your course. Right. And it's a good thing. It's okay. And it's creating that culture where people feel comfortable recognizing they've made a mistake because we all know there's a lot of ego out there in, in yes. Such a young well, you, well, you had a guy there that was not only coachable, but then he adapted. So that's the second oh. part of being coachable because I've had many people that are coachable. They say, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they never adapt, which is, yeah. that's, that's what you had in the guy you were describing. So that's, yeah. it's the second part of coachability is adaptability. Yeah. And, and I don't want to mention any names, but he's got a very senior job at one of the top technology software companies in the world right now. And he's doing awesome. I couldn't right. be happier for him. He's just a great guy, great guy. But that, that was one thing I talk about is that. And, and the other thing is that, and then the third thing I tell you, and I mentioned earlier, you've got to be visible in these jobs. You've got to be visible. You know, yeah. being on planes is not a lot of fun. I get it, trust me. But it, it's, it's the hard part of the job. Yeah. Those are really the three things I learned. So Johnny Hanlon, talk to us a little bit. Now you're at Presidio. And from what I understand from when you described it to me, you've basically taken 12 different companies and consolidating that into one and trying to unify the goals and the people and the products around those goals. That's a whole different challenge than what you had you know, previously. You want to talk a little bit yeah. about some of the lessons you're learning there? Yeah, it's, 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 it's like a piece of clay. It was still molding it, but I, when I first talked to Dave Hart, who's my boss uh, here, probably about four years ago, and I, and I said, geez, Dave, I go, here's the challenge with Presidio. I go, Presidio in New England is very different than Presidio in Florida or Presidio in Texas and Presidio in California, whatever it was. I said, in order for you to really transform this thing, you got to bring this company together to make one go-to-market, right? One clear message, right? One brand on who you are. And right now you have 12 all different brands. So you have McDonald's, I'll say Burger King, you got a Dunkin' Donuts and you got to be really one company. And it's a, it's a heavy, heavy lift, right? But we're making a lot of progress. But the real reason why I came here, I saw a unique opportunity that you could transition this company into what I call a digital systems integrator. I think you could build something very special. And we've come a long way in two years. We've still got a long way to go, right? We've made some acquisitions. We've made some changes, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, the biggest challenge I learned here is, uh, you know, strategy's nice. Building the right culture is about execution. And you got to have the right culture. And this culture here is different than the one I built than the commercial one. In what right? way? In what it's way? Not as in, it's not as, 
I'll say it's not as intense. We have 7,000 customers. We have an existing sales force, very talented engineering team, right? It was really saying, okay, how do I get them all on the same page, right? So the five things I looked at when I first got here, right? Day one, I got my wrote them up on the whiteboard, right? Got to get my leadership team in place. So where do I have my gaps? I had six gaps, actually eight gaps, right? And I wanted a diverse organization. So out of the eight gaps, four were diverse hires, right? So got the, got the leadership team. Number two was, what is our message, right? Who are we? Right, so I, we built out this thing in a guy called Four Pillars Times One. I won't get into our value prop, right? And then from that, I created sales place, right? So, okay, I have my go-to-market, I got my sales place. Now what I gotta do? I gotta train everybody. So then I create an enablement process. We have this thing called Power Hour, right? And we have a lot of different other tools we use to drive the training process. The What's third, Power Hour? Do you wanna, go, wanna just expand on that? What is that? It's, 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 a, it's kind of a lot of fun. It's uh, every Friday at 11 o'clock, we, uh, we have a, a little training lesson that myself leads and the whole sales force is required to be there. And uh, it's usually the better ones are really done by the sales leaders and sales individuals in the field themselves. Right. So you know, like last week, we did one on, I think it was on workforce transformation. We were on contact center and then we used three or four use cases. People learn from stories and use cases. So it's really a way for me to expose other people, how we're winning with use cases. Right. That's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's fun too, you know, and it really, it's get, watching the younger sales leaders kind of show off their chops is pretty cool. But the, if going back, so the fourth thing was around really building a demand gen process, which was foreign here. So this company's legacy was they were a VAR for Cisco. We're a much different company today. Now, how do we go out and rebrand ourselves? Right. Well, you got to get everybody trained on the message. And you got to get everybody out making calls. Right. And you got to have that discipline and that cadence around demand gen. So my first power hour, guess what it was on, John? I've been on board a week on demand gen. I go, how are you doing? <laughs> Welcome to power. Hour. And we're going to talk about creating our own demand because that's yeah. going to be a new brand and what a new a, culture. What a concept. What a concept. What a concept. Create Make demand. And then operational excellence, as John mentioned earlier. So those are the five things I was focused on. And then they actually started the process a year before I got here, bring in a third-party company in. So it's really their transformation has gone. It's been a three years. I've been here for two years. And as a team, I think we've come a long way. We've had a lot of success. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. And yeah, I've really enjoyed working with my directs, Dave Hart and Bob Kaknazzi. John, is Good. there anything, when I think about all these incredible experiences, starting off with your military background, with um, – PTC with EMC, with the different roles inside of EMC, with uh, with now consolidating twelve companies into building a culture uh, at Presidio. Is there anything that's changed from a just thinking about it? That whole span. Is there anything that's changed from a leadership perspective for you? Is there anything that's um, different leading? now than maybe leading in the past or any reflections that you have? Yeah, a, a lot of things have changed. Hopefully I've mellowed, mellowed and I don't have the nickname hand grenade anymore. Well, I was going to ask you, that's one of my questions. <laughs> For the listeners, I don't know if we were allowed to use it. I, the producers said that we could use it. So, but hand grenade handling, t tell us, where did that come from? Um, it, well, first of all, it's well-deserved. I was a very volatile younger man when I was in my career. <laughs> 
very intense. And uh, I had a customer uh, put me on hold one time and I wasn't actually on hold. And it was with Lou Reinemann. Lou goes, who's that? And I can't use the language that I use. That just said, I didn't speak very highly of the individual. And uh, he, I heard, I just heard that. I heard what? I just heard what you said about me. I was talking to Luke. No, you're talking to me. And I just said, you know what? You're right. I was talking about you. And he goes, am I that bad? I go, you're awful. I said, I never treated anybody the way you treated me last five times we talked. I, I just, frankly, I'll find another salesperson. And I found out the term, the power of pushing back. I wouldn't recommend this to everybody, by the way. <laughs> but uh, I actually came back to the office and I bumped into Dick Harrison that day. And he goes, how'd, you go? how'd your day go? I had a great sales call, but a little bit of a problem. And I told him the story and he just said, you are a freaking hand grenade. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he goes, good sales story. He goes, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push back that strong again, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, looking back at it, I would say, hopefully I've mellowed and matured. Um, you know, you know, you, you don't have to be, you know, we came from an environment where, you know, it was being in front of everybody's face, which really wasn't the right leadership style. Um, it's really be a much better listener right? You know, like I go to a QBR, I don't really ever talk anymore. I just kind of listen and ask a few questions. And that whatever comments I have, I'll pull somebody aside afterwards and say, here's my observations. What did you think? Right? Um, the other thing I tell you is I have my call, my top 10 handling leadership lessons. I'm not going to go through them today. But my favorite one is the person with no ego wins. Right? Yeah. And it's easier said than done, especially with salespeople. Right? You know, sometimes you lose to win. Sometimes you take a step back to go five steps forward. But if you can keep that ego in check, right, you'll go a lot farther as a leader. Yeah, what uh, you're really describing, Johnny, is you're really describing that, you know, you mellowed and put your ego on the side. All of that really speaks to the ability as a leader to be comfortable in your own skin and only participate when you have to participate, understand when to ask questions and when to listen. And, and you said, you talked about self-awareness and being real and authentic and all that. Just be you. People know who you are. They figured it out pretty quicker than you think that they figured it out. So just be you, be comfortable. And then people will will really like you as a leader for you. Yeah. So for everybody out there listening, that's why this guy is the goat of CROs and technology. <laughs> he just took yeah, what I yeah. said and articulated a hell of a lot better. That's why Johnny Mac is Johnny Mac. Thank Amen. you, Mr. Hanlon. Love Amen. the compliments. Love the compliments. So Johnny Mac and Johnny Hanlon, I'm going to do a quick wrap up here, and then we're going to go into some rapid fire questions. But uh, Johnny Mac, yes, is there anything that we didn't talk about with John Hanlon um, that, uh, we had planned to, is there anything else just kind of burning that anything you'd like to highlight or ask John? No, I think we went through some PTC stuff, EMC days, you know, his new Presidio opportunity and, um, a lot of the leadership traits that, you know, John over time has found to be really powerful. And I, I agree with all of them. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think we, so, we did it. We covered, covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. Yeah. There's, there's many other topics I could talk to John about here, but, no doubt. but due to lack of time, no, but I think we'll save those for another one. Yeah. Sorry, Johnny Hanlon, go ahead. You no, know, to the, to the young sales leaders out there, you know, I, I said, don't be afraid to make a mistake. The other thing, don't, be afraid to say, I don't know. 
I had a very hard time with saying, I don't know, I will tell you in my younger days. Right, right. And I'll never forget my, my first boss, Mr. Hython. I love this guy dearly. And one day he just chewed me out. Just chewing, like, and well-deserved, right? And I'm shaking, shaking my head. And I, and I made some flip comment back. And he looked at me and he said to me, you know what? We're going to be together for the next two years on this ship. He said, I want to hear five things out of your mouth. That's it. Yes, sir. No, sir. I don't know, sir. I'll find out, sir. Aye, aye, sir. And then he looks, looked at me, he goes, it's okay to say, I don't know. We don't expect you to know a lot, Instant. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> you don't? I got really good at I don't know at that time going, oh. <laughs> Out of the and, five uh, choices, you got good at I don't know, sir. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, he, he looked at me, though, and he smiled, and he, you know, he definitely he had, a, he had an affection for me. He smiled, and he said, I'll give you one thing, Instant. I said, I go, what, what's that? He goes, you're a well-balanced Irishman. I go, what do you mean by that? He goes, you have a chip on both shoulders. And I, <laughs> I, I looked at him and I go, you're so right. <laughs> I, uh, I love that line. That was one of my favorite lines. This Johnny Hanlon, um, it's been an absolute pleasure for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, just to interact with you today, knowing that, I don't know if it was 25 years ago, Johnny, when, when I actually worked for you back in the day and while you were going through your uh, principles of leadership, it was awesome for me to hear you articulate them because I experienced them from you. And it was, uh, it's just awesome to have you on board. Let me uh, share, just do a quick recap. And then I want to go into some rapid fire questions. So here's some of my big takeaways, like the, um, you talked about just historically what you've done and mid-market business and starting the BU at EMC and, and you talked about, um, uh, you know, then moving over to, uh, excuse me, uh, starting with PTC and then moving in those different experiences at EMC and then going to Presidio and consolidating 12 companies. And I really enjoyed the, the characteristics you talked about with approachable, persistence, empathetic, intensity, authenticity, and energy in the examples um, that you gave. I love the advice that you gave at first. I'm going to make it about the company, setting the expectation. I'm going to make it about the company. Uh, next, I'm going to make it about you. And lastly, I'm going to make it about me and setting that expectation from a leadership perspective, being coachable. Um, the culture of learning with the power hour, I think, was just a great takeaway and great, uh, a great uh, learning commitment to learning and, and uh, improving the learning and development of an organization. What I want to do, Johnny, is uh, something fun that we do. It's these rapid fire questions. I'm nervous. Um, no, they're easy, buddy. They're easy. So I'll start off with an easy one. What's I, I think I know the answer to this one already, but we'll see. Um, your ideal day off of work. Uh, uh, I would say get some exercise in the morning. Uh, go play around a round of golf and then uh, I knew it. Go, for, go for a little boat ride and watch the sunset in Naples, Florida or Cape Cod, Massachusetts with my that's friends. That's a good day. With my friends. Buddy, that's family. a good day. Yeah. All right. How about a favorite meal, brother? Oh, that's easy. Um, baby back ribs. Ooh. Baby back ribs. All right. Yeah. Baby back ribs. I, I wouldn't have guessed that, Johnny Mac. I wouldn't have guessed that. Are we doing the hickory smoke? Are we doing spicy? What are we doing? Whatever your son cooks, I like those. Yeah, ones. right. Okay. 
Well, if it's his son, it's probably you're eating elk meat or something. You no, gotta, you know, he cooked a rack of baby packs one day. I said, "Oh my god, this is my death meal." Yeah, they like were really it. good. All right, brother, how about a favorite movie? Oh God, I'm kind of a movie buff. Um, I would say uh, probably a movie a lot of people haven't heard about. You, you know, I'm gonna I, I break it down to categories: westerns, drama, you know, whatever. Crime. Give us, give us my, three. The best, give us three. The, best, the best years of my life, right? And that won the Academy Award in 1946. So it's about three veterans returning from World War II. The best and, years uh, of my life. Okay. Yeah, well, best years. Our, I might be best years of our life. Won the Academy Award. Yeah, Daryl Zanuck was the producer of it. Won Best Picture that year. Um, you know, favorite Western, The Searchers by John Wayne. And it was John Wayne should have won the Academy Award for that. It was by, by far his best movie of all time. Johnny right? Mac, I got to brush up. But before I ask a question, I better be prepared when these guys <laughs> answer these questions. I know. I don't know any of these movies. Johnny I, well, is kinda, like an old history buff. He's and an old, old history. Old movie buff yeah. and an old yeah. music buff, you know? Yeah. Country music. I like my old country. And then I probably have to go with my favorite movie. I mean, probably be The Godfather. Hate to be cliche. Yeah. You know, I, I love The Godfather. Now, your music, your music uh, choices are a little interesting. I would say on a recent golf trip that, that we had uh, in your, you know, we got caddies and we got the whole mix here, Johnny Mac. I don't know if you remember this, but um, we had some, we had some country. We had some Patty LaBelle. We had some. You Glenn were quite Campbell. a <laughs> yeah. That's Glenn Campbell, buddy. We had some interesting, and you know Johnny Mac. I knew. I think I figured out what it was. I think what? it was an attempt to get in our minds and take our money. Yeah, which he did. He took he our did. money, right? Yeah, he did. Well, he took our money when we were paying caddies. Oh yeah, that's when he sure. took our money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. You, I took all the money. What are you talking? Hey, about? we took we took money on the course, but we didn't know we had to go to the ATM to pay the caddies. John Hanlon took gifting to a new level, man. It was awesome. Yeah. I love hey, to tip people who work hard. I got it. I got it, brother. Last question I have for you. This one I really, really like because uh, um, I, again, I might know the answer to this, but I'd be interested. What would you have done if it had not been? For a sales career what other career would you have done i think the same thing you would have done i would have coached high school football and taught history at boston college ah, high school wow Great. very good i think that would have been i don't know if i would have been the history teacher but i think i would have loved to have taught uh, taught high school football and that's what you and i do we're all coaches in the end of the day and teachers johnny hanlon last question on the rapid fire uh uh what is your favorite charity and why yeah, uh, it's called CASA, which stands for Court Appointed Service Advocate, and uh, it's designed to help foster children um, move into the next phase of life. Um, why? Uh, I've been invo- been involved with the charity for over 20 years. Uh, I was blessed to be uh, engaged with a young man who was looking to get a uh, help get an education in a place where I went to high school, Boston College High School, and he couldn't afford it. My brother Joe actually reached out to me and we sponsored the gentleman and paid for his education. And let me just tell you, he went from there to Boston College and now he's in the social service. He's doing great. And I don't think that would have happened um, if Alonzo didn't get the help that CASA provided. So what does CASA try to do as far as 
taking those foster children? Do they try to get them just like you did with this person that, from where they are to high yeah. school? Or what, what's the transition? It, it, it's it's really, it's remember when we were, we were growing up as kids, you had the big child, you know, big brother. Big, big brother, yeah, big sister, yeah. This yeah. is a much more formalized process. So if you want to become a CASA advocate, you have to go through a formal training. And then you basically, you're adopting an individual. And you own, you know, from, I will say, their medical care. You own their education, right? You own them maturing into, into the next part of their life. And I've seen multiple examples at, you know, at charity events. And it just, it blows me away. Uh, it's some of these young people. And it, if you look at our biggest problem right now in homeless, the biggest feeder, foster children, right? And this is a way to hopefully solve that problem. So, Johnny, that's in- awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, brother. We'll make sure that for our listeners, we put a link into the show notes on CASA. And we, we absolutely uh, appreciate you for that. And we're looking forward to learning more about it. Thank you. That's what Johnny Hanlon, it's been such a great honor to have you on. I'm so thankful and, and uh, proud for you on your accomplishments and your resilience in the marketplace and that you I have a tremendous amount of respect for the number of years that you've just been uh, in the field, uh, bringing troops to the, to a new and next level. And uh, I really, really thank you for spending time. Johnny Mack, wrap us up. Johnny Hanley, my friend, thank you so much. I'm sure the audience got a lot out of it. And I'm very grateful to have you on today. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks to everybody for, you know, joining the, the Revenue Builders podcast. Can, can I do a shout out before sure. I leave? Do it. Do a shout out to my son, John, my daughter, my son, Ryan, and my daughter, Kelly. And the last thing I want to say is Presidio rocks. There you go, brother. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Thanks for being with us. And thank you for listening to Revenue Builders. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 